everyone. Hope you guys had a great weekend so far. Um, yet to hear Brother Mohan's debate. I'll have to listen to that this week. Uh, Brother Mohan, you want to talk about it a little bit and say how it went? You're welcome to. Okay. All right. Um, but uh, it ought to be interesting to see how it all went and how God blessed. Um, this week, uh, last week we talked about the book of Jude, and we're going to finish that up today, hopefully, if I don't talk too long. So let's start to today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful today that we're here in your house, and Lord, being able to study your word together as friends and as family, Lord, uh, we appreciate, Lord, all that you've done for us. Lord, I realize that uh, we are unworthy, uh, unsinners, saved by your grace. And Lord, the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And Lord, I thank you so much that you have kept your promises. In a world that's changing around us, Lord, I realize uh, that you are true every day, and your promises are true every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so last week we talked about the word or um, word pictures of apostasy. All right, let's get a real quick review just to kind of go through it. I like to review it so everybody can remember. Does anybody remember the dates for the writing of Jude? Okay. Always go ahead, Mohan. Oh, you're a date. You're a little bit shy. I have 66 to 80 AD. Any any time in between there. Okay. Uh, just remember that the destruction of the temple was in 70 AD, and that was what? That was closer to the end of the writing of the New Testament. Most books were written before 70 AD. Okay? So you have Jude, and then what is the next book after Jude? Revelation. Having Revelation as the last book will help you understand what time Jude was written. Alright? Who was the book of Jude written by? Of course, the Holy Spirit. But who was the tool that was used by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Jude? Peter, right? Maybe? It was me, right? I wrote the book of Jude? No, it was Jude! Excuse me, I have horrible allergies this morning. And we talked about last week the theme of Jude, the book of Jude, which is contending for the faith. And we've, we kind of explained one of the things about contending for the faith. What are we contending for? Contend means to what? Right? Fight. Okay? And as we contend for that, we're fighting for our faith. Because there is going to be a problem. There's lots of people. Hi, Brother Cesar. There's lots of people that come in and they want to destroy our faith. They want to take our faith and say, it's null and void. It's worthless. It has no value. Okay? 
Our job is to fight for our faith. And in fighting for our faith, who are we fighting against? Who are we fighting against? Well, here we go. Verse 4 of Jude. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And what? Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We as Christians are defending our faith. We're fighting for our faith against men that have no desire to live by faith or by this word. They want to take God's word. They want to twist it. They want to change it. They want to make it uh, fit their needs. And not what God says. It'd be very easy for, especially people of the Baptist faith, to be able to um, conform to what the world has to offer. What does the world say? Well, today if you go outside, you look out here, you have a bar. Okay? The world, some Christians even say this, it's okay to socially drink. Okay? We could very easily say, well, you know, there's wine in the Bible, right? And so people will take that and they will twist it and they'll say, well, there was wine in the Bible, so it's okay to drink. The Bible even says you can have a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. But without investigating it further and just taking something and saying, this is face value, this is what it is, they're not literally looking at what the Bible is saying. They're not looking, if you look in the old, uh, in Psalms, where it says, it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And they take those verses and they say, well, that doesn't apply to us. Listen to me, if you're going to take this Bible, you're either going to take part of it or you're going to take all of it and i'm going to tell you something if you only take part of it you're only not you're not having the holy bible you're having your bible okay it's very easy for a christian to say well i don't want to have to believe this and i don't have to believe this we are fighting against that today is a world of apostasy there's people out there today that believe that they can take and choose what they want from God's word. The Catholics, they believe what? You don't have to uh, live a righteous life. You don't have to do, you can do good works and that will get you to heaven. They don't have to believe on Jesus Christ. God has a purpose, he has a plan, and he expressed it through his word. We gave some examples of people that had the truth and then they fell away from the truth. Who were there? Israel. Israel. What did Israel do? They knew what the truth was. The truth was if they served God and turned from their idols, as it says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. What does that mean? That means if they would have done that, God says, I'll come back and I'll heal your land. And they would constantly, they would come back to that idea and then they'd leave it. Apostasy is the idea of knowing the truth and leaving it. Is there apostate people today? The Methodists were, became apostate. The Presbyterians, they had the truth and now they are apostate. The Lutherans are apostate. I don't believe the Catholics ever had the truth, to be quite honest with you. I don't think they ever knew the truth, and it was always what? Heresy. They always believed in good works. I don't think there was ever a point in time where they believed that it was faith and faith alone. But you can see Israel as a good example. Fallen angels, they at one time, fallen angels were one time had the faith. They knew what was right. They decided to be what? They wanted to be equal with God. They wanted to be bigger and better than God. And they fell out of heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was one time an example of people that might have understood the right and the wrong. Cain. Cain knew what sacrifices were to be made. But instead of keeping with the truth, what did he do? He decided to sacrifice what he wanted. Balaam. Balaam was so much that he was actually a prophet of God. And because he went and served money, he decided that he was going to curse the children of Israel. And God says, no, you can't. And then lastly, Korah. Korah. Korah was swallowed up because he what? Became apostate. So let's talk about these. And we went through these last week, and I'm going to finish up Jude Five word pictures of apostasy, and I talked about hidden rocks. What verses 12 and 13 says, it says, These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom reserve the blackness and darkness forever. So here we find what? Some examples of what apostasies are. Okay? They have the power, they know the power, but they deny it. Wandering stars, shooting stars. What is like a wandering star? Everyone's ever seen a shooting star? What happens when you see a shooting star? So just tell me, how's that? Ha- what happens? What, what happens when you see a shooting star? You may know. <laughs> but what does a shooting star do? Yeah, you can ask her a wish. If you're Pinocchio. Okay. Uh, does that translate Pinocchio? All right. You can, you can wish, wish upon a star and become a real boy. Okay. But really, to be quite honest with you, a shooting star is there one minute, and it's what? Gone the next. There one minute, gone the next. When you become an example of apostasy, what? You have the truth, and you're gone the next. Okay? Apostate people don't stay relevant to what Christ wants. You can have the truth, 
As soon as you leave the truth, you are no longer a tool of God. A tool of God. You're no longer a servant of God. You're gone. God, I remember when I was a kid, I think I might have given this illustration before. I had a band instructor, and he was by far always, uh, I don't know how to explain this. His name is Mr. Yingling, and Mr. Yingling was always getting on us kids to practice our instruments. You know, trying to play our instruments. And he would say, he would tell us, in, in, in our band room, the band room was kind of over here, and then on each side of the band room, there were shelves to put our instruments. And remember, as a fifth and sixth grader, people putting their instruments up on the shelves, and sometimes, because they never practiced them, they would what? They would collect dust. And the next time they opened up that band instrument was for band class. The question became, was I really using that band, that instrument? No. I what? Put it up on the shelf. And God will do the same person that goes from the truth. He's just going to put you up on the shelf, and he's going to ignore you. He's not going to have any part of you. Why? Because you've left the faith. When you are not serving God, when you're not serving the truth... You're going to be put up on a shelf. And I think that's exactly what he's trying to get through here. When you become a shooting, when you become apostate, you're no longer active. You see a star in the sky, it stays there all night long, doesn't it? But a shooting star does it. It's there one second, it's gone the next. Your Christian life is dependent on your relationship to the truth. And what is the truth? The Bible says, thy word is truth. Your word, God's word, is what is going to make you viable in this world today as a Christian. Viable? Are you having a hard time with that one, brother? Okay, viable means valuable or... um, What's another word for viable, honey? Um, Useful. Useful. Relevant. Okay? If you don't have God's word, you are unrelevant to God to, to, the, to God, and as a Christian. Apostasy. You've become also, and we gave two other examples, clouds without water, false hope, discouragement, autumn trees, twice dead, without fruit and rooted up, raging waves of the sea, standing on a rock. Listen to me. When you are uh, uh, apostate, listen to me. You're just like the waves. They come in and they go away, don't they? You will find people that are not going to leave the truth, they will stand tall. They will not move. They are, the Bible says, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is in Psalms, verse 1. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is the verse I want to get at. And he is like a tree planted by the rivers of water 
that bringeth forth fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall, what? Prosper. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Chaff. Uh, like, um, like peanut shells. You know? Right? Okay. I love the illustration. When you take wheat and you rub it together, what do you get? You get the seeds. But then also you get what else? You get whatever's wrapped around those seeds, right? And all the chaff goes away. That is exactly the person that is apostate. They are going to go with whatever direction the world around them tells them to do. You should ask yourself, why do I make the decisions that I make? Some Christians are like this. A perfect illustration is, pastor gets up and he says, Thus saith the Lord. And people, oh yeah, he's right. And then they go to work, and the person says, Why do you believe, the person that's unsaved and unregenerated, they say, why are you doing this? And they give them their argument. So you know what that person does? Oh yeah, he's right. And they follow whatever they, they are told. The person that is unmovable, unshakable, says, what does God's word say? When we think about policies, whether it be new laws in our country, or it be something that has to do with our own Christian lives, and how we should operate as Christians, everything should be filtered through the word of God. So here's an example. This week I was thinking about something, and I, I don't remember what it was. It was something that was brought up on the radio. And the first thought was, what does God's word say? If you're not asking that question when you're making a decision, then you're making the wrong decision. Because it's not a faith. Right? You have no idea what God's word says. You know, pastor's been uh, harping on this, wording, learning the Word of God and memorizing it. Why is it important to memorize the Word of God? Because if you don't, what are you going to be? You're going to be the chaff that's the wind driveth away. You're going to hear something, and you know what? There's going to be no verses up here that are telling you, this is right, this is wrong. All right, so we've had, well, those are all the five word pictures of apostasies. And now we're going to go to our last point, which is safeguards against apostasy. Verse 17, let's read it together. It says, Beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we find that you want to guard yourself against from leaving the church. You want to guard yourself against leaving the truth. You want to guard yourself against heresy. You want to guard yourself against going against the grain which God has given us. Memorize God's word. Know it. When I was a young boy, I knew every name of the Bulls starting lineup. The basketball team. Okay. I was fifth and sixth grade. I think it may have been seventh grade. The Bulls were the, were the world champions. 
And I can tell you, I could probably still tell you, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, John Back Paxson. I knew the Bulls inside and out. Now, you ask me today who the Bulls starting lineup is? Maybe tell you two people, and that's because I heard them on the news. They're not important to me. People ask me why I don't follow sports. And it, uh, since I've been driving for Uber, a lot of people, that's their life, you know. I'll pick them up for a basketball game or I'll pick them up for a baseball game and they'll tell me about who's winning. And I says, do you like, they'll ask me, do you like sports? I says, not really. I says, I like playing it. It's fun. But I really don't care for it. I said, it doesn't affect my life. And I think in the same sense, when we should, as I was a young boy, knowing those basketball teams, I knew them, Right? Some things that you, you really like, you're going to what? You're going to know it inside and out. You folks that work jobs year in, year out, you know your job. Why? Because it's what? Important to you. If you mess up on your job, you could likely get what? Fired. But as a Christian, our goal should be what? What does God want me to do? The Bible says in verse 17, But beloved, remember the words which are spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember is the key word. Remember. What does it mean to remember? I'm being very basic here, but I'm trying to get a point across. What does it mean to remember? Yes. Recall is a better word, really. Sometimes my wife, shamelessly have to say this, will tell me something, and I'll forget. She'll say, honey, I told you this yesterday. And I'll go, I don't remember that. Why didn't I remember it? Because it wasn't important to me. Sorry, honey. It happens, though. When you take God's word and you see the value and you see the importance, are you just going to say, <laughs> okay, I read God's word for today. Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm going to think on this. I'm going to memorize this. I'm going to meditate on this. Guarantee you, when it comes to something with your finances and you need to find a way to pay for something, what do you do? You meditate it, don't you? You think about it. You spend time with it. It's no different with God's word. You want to see how God can work in your life through his word? You need to depend on it. Secondly, not only should we remember the words of God, but also we should pray in the Holy Ghost. In verse 18, it says, I'm sorry, in verse 20, it says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. What does that mean, Brother Harold? Are you trying to tell me that we should be lifting up our hands? Woo, right? I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And everybody's going to start speaking in tongues. Except for Mr. Oscar and Miss Sophie and some of the others that can speak two language. You know? And stink. And then I see Brother Lewis, he's over here. He's, he's shaking on the floor. You think I'm being funny, but it's the truth. You go to Pentecostal church and they get slain in the spirit and they start shaking on the floor. I'll tell you what, I see someone start shaking on the floor. I'm calling 911. 
There's a guy having a seizure here. Come quick. All right. If uh, my wife starts shaking on the floor, I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the, the paramedics because I say, oh, that's not good. But listen to me. When it says praying in the Holy Spirit, what are we saying? We're saying that we are praying with God's will in mind. Praying in the Holy Spirit. There are some people that pray constantly on a daily basis. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Mother Mary, full of grace. Right? They're saying a prayer, but are they praying in the Holy Ghost? I've heard people pray. Are they praying what? Huh? Are they praying in the Holy Ghost? No. They're not praying in God's name, are they? I've heard even people in independent, fundamental Baptist churches. I love this is my favorite. God, forgive me of my sins. They're praying in public. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. You're not praying in God's name. You're not asking God to forgive you of your sins. If you were really burdened about your sins, it would be something that would be in your prayer closet. And you'd be saying, oh God, specifically praying for something that you had done. How would you like it if I came to my wife and I had, let's just give you an example. I had done something wrong. Oh, here's a perfect example. I'm going to throw my mother under the bus. Okay. My mom came over to my house yesterday and I have this little, it's called a, it's a milk frother. Okay. Uh, if you go to Starbucks, you'll see they got the big old whisk on the end of it and they'll stick your cup up in there and you hear that noise. That's part of the steam, but you'll see your mouth. It comes back and oh man, it looks good. It's got a frothy on top. And my mom, she broke my milk frother. I was irritated. I put it back together. It didn't work right. And I, and my mom said she was sorry for breaking my milk frother. But let's, for example, say, mom's going to love this, that I'm using her as an illustration. Let's just, for example, say, talk about this milk frother. And now she breaks it. It's lying there. And uh, I come and I find it, and I say, oh, man, who broke my milk frother? My mom just kind of looks at you. She looks at me. She, I did. Okay. And then later on, she comes to me, and she says, Harold, I'm sorry. For what? Uh, for whatever I've done wrong to you. What do you mean, whatever you've done wrong to you? You know. Whatever you I look at her and I like she's got two heads. What are you talking about? Well, you know, just forgive me. So you want me to blanket forgive you for everything or something specific? When you're talking to God, you need to be specific about your sin. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost will convict you. The Holy Ghost will guide you. Right? But some people just pray. It's just coming out. Is there any Holy Ghost involved? My daughters. <laughs> Brooklyn prays. And this is how she's done this for a while now. Dad, our dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with Chloe and that she quit being mean to me. And be with Adeline. She's a bad girl and she needs to start doing right. And this is for praying for the food. Okay. 
and pray for the, the bad, the, the twins, that they don't fight with each other. And the funny thing is she never talks about her own sin. And so she's just praying about everybody else's sin. And I stopped her one time and said, what about you? Did you do something wrong this week? And she'll look at dad and she'll go, yeah. But what is the difference between a Christian who just kind of blurts out a whole bunch of things they want to pray about, but they don't really be specific about their own sin? They're not praying. The Holy Spirit's not guiding them. How does the Holy Spirit guide you? Let me ask you this. When you're praying, how do you allow yourself to be wrapped up in your prayer? It should be that there is a burden that no, that cannot be left, left alone. It should be that it's just something that drives you to your knees. Man, when you sin against God, you've got to be someone that's just burdened about your sin that you've done toward him. Man, it should be something that says, oh, I can't let this go. I've heard of Christians do this. They sin against God, and they wait until their next morning devotion to ask God to forgive them. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? You're not praying in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, you did wrong. And as soon as the Holy Spirit points his finger at you like Nathan did to David, what do you do? I am ungodly. Oh, God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. I'm not saying that if you've done something wrong at work, that you're automatically going to get on your knees there at your workstation. I don't say do that, but you're automatically saying, God, please forgive me. And it's a silent prayer of God asking him to forgive you of that sin. That's praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it take for you to get on your knees? What does it take for God to forgive you for your sin? Let me ask you, is it until pastor gets up and preaches a hot hellfire sermon that it makes you realize that you wronged God? Or does it take the Holy Spirit saying, you did wrong. You did wrong. You, thou art the man. You say, oh God, please forgive me. And you, at that moment, ask God to forgive you that sin. 1 John 1, 9 doesn't say that if we wait until the next morning and pray and ask God to forgive us our sins, then he'll forgive us our sins. No, it says that confess thy sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not like the, the, uh, the way of eating that me and my wife have been. It's nice, but it's not the same way. When you do something that's outside of the plan, you got three hours and you start over again. It's automatic. I'm sorry. Do you, Three, three hours, uh, the way the, 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 the meal works is that if you eat something that's wrong, you have three hours before you start over again. Okay? No. When you're in the will of God, you're saying, God, please forgive me. And the next instant, you are back on God's plan. Christians think that you have to have this big old ceremony. You need to come forward and confess your sins at the altar of the church. 
No, we're not Catholics, praise God. We have a Heavenly Father. And guess what? He is a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We, have a, uh, we don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to someone to tell them our sins. God forgives us our sins the instant we ask Him to. That is praying in the Holy Ghost. You want to take care of apostasy in your life? It's praying and asking God forgive you the moment you sin. Would David's life have been different if he would have asked God to forgive him the moment that he decided to lay with Bathsheba? I guarantee you God would have forgiven him and he could have moved forward. But instead, he had the snowball effect in his Christian life. And so what happened? He didn't pray. He didn't ask God to forgive him. And so he tried to cover up his sin. Nobody's ever seen a kitty cat poop in a sandbox. What do they try to do? Right? They start burying it, right? Ooh, what is that? Who knows? I don't know who did that, right? I remember my dog. He would uh, emit, and I say this in very loose terms, a Bronx cheer. He would have fat, uh, uh, um, how do you even say that? Fatulence, there we go. And he would let that out and, and, and uh, he would look around like it wasn't him. What a dumb dog. I think some Christians are the same way. Right? Me, a sinner? Who did that? Right? We have, I hope I didn't lose my crowd because of that one. We have what? The Holy Spirit guiding and directing us every day. You can take God's word for what it is and ask him to forgive you as 1 John 1, 9, or you can let it go. You want to avoid apostasy in your life? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you. Let's go to verse 24. Verse 24 and we'll read. It says, let's take back to verse 21. Keeping yourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present yourself faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Okay, so you're praying in the Holy Ghost. Secondly, you're trusting in God. You're trusting in God. Perfect example of this is what? Saul. What did Saul do? Saul trusted in himself. When it came time to sacrifice to God, he instead sacrificed, not waiting for Samuel, sacrificed on his own. And what happened? God judged him for it. I think of another example. Deborah and Barak. Instead of Barak trusting God, he instead became apostate from the truth. And a woman, I'm not saying it's wrong for a woman to have victory in some things, but God had specifically said that a man should have victory in war. And guess what happened? 
What happened? Anybody remember? Somebody. I, I love this phrase. We used to, as a kid, I was told that it was jail that had the nail. Okay? And jail took that nail, and she was going after, I love, I don't know, somebody, somebody taught me this. The way you can remember jail with the nail is that she ch- chose Chase down Sissia, or uh, Sisera, the sissy. Okay? And she took that nail and she took it in a Sisera's head and she went kaboom! Right through here, out through here. Can you imagine that? Oof. Talk about grotesque. grotesque. I can't imagine how hard it would have been to have a nail go through your head. But she, as a woman, I don't know about any woman in here. I don't think anybody could do that. I don't want to do that. That's gross. But she wanted victory. And she went and told Barak. Barak was right behind him, right? He was chasing hard against her. Guess who killed Assisera? The sissy. A woman. Oh, Barak, I'm sure he came back. Woo, we won! How'd you win? Girl beat me. (laughs) Girl beat me. Don't get me wrong. I think women are, by far, I would never be anything without my wife. You laugh. It's the truth. Okay? I, I really, really am a misorganized mess. Without my wife, she really makes me look good. Okay? She really does change things in my life. I'm bragging on her, but I'm trying to get a point across. God does give men victory. God does give men leadership over their homes. The woman has has another job to do. And that is to support their husbands and to do the things that are necessary. But listen to me. God had something specific here. I'm kind of going, Barak did not trust God. He tried to trust in who? Himself. And in trusting in himself, what did he see? He saw his own weaknesses. Guarantee you some of the things that you look at and you say, man, I can't lead my family. Maybe some of you say, yeah, I can. You're even worse than the guy that says he can't. What did Gideon do? Lead, L-E-A-D. Okay. What did, what did Gideon do? He tested God inside and out, didn't he? He realized he couldn't do it. And finally, God gave him the ability to say, I just trust me. When we're going to avoid apostasy in our own lives, we are going to what? We're going to trust God. When you start relying upon yourself and trusting in your own flesh, you're going to leave the truth. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. The Bible says, who can know it? Trust in the Lord and all your ways or trust in the Lord in all his all the ways lean not into your own understandings and all thy ways acknowledge him and he will what he will direct thy paths so here we find we're going to avoid apostasy by how by what trusting in God and lastly and we're done with Jude verse 21 let's read it together keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted 
by the flesh. After reading this and studying this, I used to look at this verse differently. You can pull this text completely out of context, can't you? We just need to love each other. Right? I've heard some Christians do that. I've heard other Christians say, Get him! Get him! Right? Wicked, wicked, wicked. Really puts a balance on it. What are we doing here? We are trying to stop apostasy, not only in the people around us, but also what? In our own lives. But it starts with what? Your own life. If you're constantly looking at somebody else's problems, are you ever going to see your own? It's very easy to be a, a critic of somebody else's problems, right? I'm constantly, sometimes I'm too much of a critic. And I realize that sometimes because of my own critic, criticisms, I'm not looking at my own problems. It should be before we go to somebody else that we're taking it to prayer. We're praying, asking God to help us. And we're not just talking about the fear of some, the compassion on someone else. But we're saying, God, help me to be who I need to be for this person. Instead, people want, what do they want to do? They're not trusting in God. They're not praying in the Holy Spirit. They're instead, they don't have the love of God. Because the love of God tells us that he, while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. We're realizing that that very person might be struggling with something that we just don't even know anything about. And at that moment, you come to them and say, you wicked sinner. <laughs> right? Kick them while they're down. And really, all they need is what? Someone to pray for them. Someone to encourage them. Someone to say, take them by the hand. Come on, let's go. Let me help you. Let me show you. Perfect illustration. Oh, man, this fits so great. Just came to me. My little girl, Katie. She's right over there. She's the fat one. And she is she's somewhat more obedient than Callie in some areas. Okay? And uh, I'll be sitting there. And the other day, um, Katie was doing something. And Callie was supposed to, I, I wanted to see Callie. I said, Callie, come here. And Callie kind of stood there. And you could see her brain just spinning. Like she was going to make a run for it. Little Katie comes along and goes, curse Katie. She's, she's become more of a bully more and more. She comes around and goes, this guy gives a whack in the back and pushes me in my direction. I kind of think that's the way Christians can be. You see another Christian that's just, oh man, you're going to mess up big time, buddy. You just give him a, give him a big old I'm not saying I don't want to see Brother Oscar over there whacking Brother Lewis on the back, you know. I don't want to see that. But I'm saying, in a, in, a, in, a, in a good sense, what are you doing? You're encouraging. You're lifting up. You're saying, God, please help. Miss Raina said, you I get to hit him on the back now. No, we are what? We are what? We're taking this verse and we're doing it out of the love of God, looking for what? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
What is mercy? Grace is what? Getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy is what? Not getting something that you do deserve. We deserve hell. But we're not getting it. Because of what? The grace of God. People in this church, if they're struggling, very easily you could be looking down on them saying, what is that person's problem? But because of mercy of Jesus Christ, we're going to say, yeah, maybe they do deserve that, but listen to me. I'm going to be above that. I'm going to work to show that Christ's love extends not only from Jesus Christ to me, but it also bounces off to someone else. And you're saying, I'm going to work with that person. I'm going to help that person. I'm going to uh, expend some of my life for that person. And that is truly what Jesus Christ expects from us when we're showing his mercy. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, let us abandon the ideas of trusting in ourselves and trusting in the things that uh, you are against. But Lord, let us trust in you. Lord, when we're close to you, we will avoid apostasy, not only in our lives, but in the church around us. I pray that you just please be with us, Lord, as we're endeavoring to live by faith and not by sight. Give us strength today to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Get your headphones on, huh? Hello? Hello?